Hello everyone and welcome to episode 48 of Desert Tiger. Today we're going to be featuring Foster from Foster and the Pranksters. Music, athletics, arts, and entertainment. The Desert Tiger Podcast with Colton Geschwader. That is me, this is the DTP, and you guys, of course, are the listeners, the wonderful listeners, who I love and appreciate so very much, and I am so thankful that you guys are tuning in to episode 48 of Desert Tiger. Thank you for hitting that play button. I love you for it so much from the bottom of my heart. Today on the show, we're going to be featuring Foster. Born and raised in New Jersey, rapper Foster founded the group Foster and the Pranksters back in 2016. Foster kind of decided he wanted to add a little bit more of the human element to his sound, as well as battle the idea, that opinion, that rap and hip-hop music isn't actually music itself because it lacks things like guitars and drums and otherwise. So Foster decided he was going to go out, he was going to team up with the likes of Mike the Irate Genius, Steve Padaleski, and Chris Stadler, and together they are Foster and the Pranksters. Influenced by hip-hop heavyweights such as Kanye West and The Roots, as well as rock and roll gods such as The Strokes, Jimmy and the Hendrix, and The White Stripes. Foster and the Pranksters combines elements of rap, garage rock, funk, blues, and soul to create a sound that feels familiar and completely original, yet not too familiar so that you begin to expect what's next from the group. Foster and the Pranksters are constantly wanting to keep you on their toes with their ever-changing and evolving sounds and presentation. This is, of course, best represented by the two EPs that they have released in 2018, La Honda and The Acid Test. The result of a 48-hour recording session, that's right, just 48 hours for two EPs. The first 24 hours was completely dedicated towards recording La Honda, which features six different tracks, and then they came back in on the Sunday, the very next day, and spent those 24 hours recording the four tracks that are found on the acid test. All of this extremely impressive, especially even more when you factor in the fact that they actually didn't plan on recording either of these EPs this day. They planned on using both days to record an entirely different EP that they also happen to have in their back pocket and plan on recording in the future. And once again, it's so much more impressive once you actually start to factor in just how different stylistically each of these albums are from each other, especially La Honda from The Acid Test. And of course, I'm going to be giving you guys a little bit of a taste from each of those episodes. First off, I'm going to be giving you a track off of La Honda. And then midway through the interview, I'm going to be giving you a little bit of a taste of acid test. It's going to be a great conversation. We're going to be talking about that 48-hour recording session. We're going to be talking about how he got the pranksters together. We're going to be talking about his hip-hop career and how he's decided to evolve it. 
And of course, we're going to be diving into so many more various questions and topics. You guys know how we like to do it here at the DTP, so you're either on the bus or you're off the bus. And with that being said, I think it's finally time, you guys, for us to get to this first track from Foster and the Pranksters. Like I told you, this first one is coming in off the first EP that they released this year in 2018, of course, that being La Honda. And sometimes you guys gotta get a little bit of something off your chest. You gotta let people know how you're feeling. Well, maybe yeah. this one is for you. This is called The Vent. This is so vicious, a born mystic, rolled over for no critics, culture downshifted, music is so timid, a lot of niggas they told y'all would blow dead, models is outdated, internet saturated, the price paid is real niggas that haven't made it, y'all scrunch up your face like, why I never heard of him, six corporations on media, that's the worst of it, best case scenario, give it away for free, get them to cut a check for exclusivity, if you read between the lines, you can see the tides turning, I say it's the truth, y'all say it's just my version, this is the vibe, this is the vibe. I guess I didn't remind them. Show some respect. It's been on my mind. Ain't enough to say I'm hitting my stride. Fuck that. I climbed the stairway to heaven. Now I'm kissing the sky. A lot of rappers still living the lie. Claiming it's all for the music. You lucky if I don't spit in your eye. I'm disgusted. Past the point of discussion. All the finger pointing. Witch hunting. Back to the dungeon. Cause y'all fucking. I'm a mad scientist. Influenced by my environments. Jukeboxes and a few criminals that inspired this. God bless the dead and them niggas locked up. God help the rest of us. Look what we got us. God bless the dead and them niggas locked up God help the rest of us, look what we got us God help the rest of us, look what we got us Look, part of my ego, part of my tone of disrespect Part of my confidence, part of me if I'm unimpressed But this is just a vent Yeah, part of the honesty, it's not politically correct Part of the static, part of me if there's a disconnect But this is just a vent Look, bad taste in my mouth like black licorice Tell them it ain't sweet, that get mistaken for bitterness I don't compromise or prophesize I watch the signs, I knowledge disguise The blindness in modern times The system is not designed for nothing but selling lies Remember the revolution will never be televised Don't watch the throne, history on your blind side The pulse of the culture don't coincide with the limelight Politics is usual, but I promise it's mutual Whatever your award shows for, it's not musical Except the Tony, but you don't strike me as a soprano At least with Tony Soprano, you always know where you stand, though I feel the propaganda starting to get out of hand, though They tap dancing, got better chances looking like Sambo Rappers come and go, believe me, I got some ammo Skeletons in the closet exposed like Marlon Brando Bodies behind curtains that keep your eyes on the circus Misdirected questions that keep your mind on the surface and you only correct if your answer quite expected Consequence of programming and standardized testing Y'all regurgitated, I reverberate the earth in language Translate verses for meditation when you learn the basics Are we channeling higher frequencies? Maybe so Won't be long now before we kill the radio Part of my ego, part of my tone of disrespect Part of my confidence, part of me if I'm unimpressed But this is just a vent Look, pardon the honesty, it's not politically correct. Pardon the static, pardon me if there's a disconnect. Uh.
Desert Tiger Podcast. All right, we are here with Foster the Prankster. How is it going today, my dude? It's good, man. How are you? I am doing fantastic. Fantastic. Like I was just saying, listening to the new album you guys just dropped. We're going to be talking about that yeah. a little bit later. Of course. Sounds good. Yeah. So I like to sort of start things off where the musicians started. So where was your love for music and hip hop? Where does that start off? And where along the line did you decide that maybe hip hop was something that you could get into? Um, so as far as music is concerned, um, nobody in my family really plays or, you know, anything like that. But, uh, my, my grandfather was actually, a, um, he, he was like an antique collector. So he collected jukeboxes. So when I was growing up, it was like, literally like the house was full of just like old jukeboxes with like, you know, Motown records and, uh, you know, everything from like Ray Charles to Elvis, the Beatles, like all that stuff. So I really grew up on like, you know, a lot of the older music, even though I grew up in the nineties with, you know, the more contemporary stuff that was coming out then, you know, Nirvana and, um, especially all the classic hip hop stuff, Tribe Called Quest and stuff like that. Um, but you know, my, my earliest, uh, influences in music are, you know, old, old school stuff, you know, sixties records and stuff like that. Um, I didn't really get into hip hop like heavy until, uh, probably like my teenage years when I, you know, started like branching out and, finding the music that I really love. Um, when I was younger, my cousin put me on to, you know, like I said, A Tribe Called Quest, Nas, stuff like that, because she was older, so she was like a big hip-hop head and stuff like that. So I always heard, like, you know, I, I heard, like, the 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 classic stuff in, in hip-hop growing up, Wu-Tang and things like that. But um, I latched on to it really... Um, I was just good with words, man. Like, you know, since I was a kid, like I, I really didn't think about rapping or nothing like that. But um, I used to write a lot, like write short stories and write poetry. And, and like literature was like pretty much the only class in school that I ever like really actually did well at, like ex- excelled at. So, um, so yeah, writing was just a, a big deal for me as a kid. And, you know, uh, being from a single parent household, you know, I spent a lot of time on myself because my mom was working a lot. And so I think part of it was like, an escapist thing of just, you know, writing just to, uh, be in my imagination and stuff like that. Um, so when I was about 14, I started, I transitioned to like writing raps a little bit and didn't really take it seriously, but it was like, yo, like I've always been good with words. Like this is something that I feel like I could be good at. And, um, so I wrote for about two years, started recording when I was 16 and that was pretty much like the start of it, man. I ended up linking up with an engineer in Brooklyn uh, named Jay Hu, who was putting a team of rappers together and kind of just like spammed them, like would send them all like the recordings that I made on my computer that were terrible. And um, and he started giving me free studio time and, uh, you know, on King's Highway in, in Brooklyn, New York. And that's pretty much how I, you know, cut my teeth, um, you know, just going in the studio and, and, learning about production, learning how to put songs together, how to count bars and all that stuff. And I've kind of just been, you know, focused and moving ahead ever since. Okay, so when you started, like, writing more so lyrics than poetry, even though they are, like, one and the same, when you started doing that, were you finding that you were also, like, 
did you start working on your voice at that time as well like your cadence and your presentation at that time or did you not really do that until like like until you had a few lyrics under your belt um yeah that was definitely something that came later because of the fact that i started like as a writer um Mm -hmm. it was something that like took a lot for me to to uh, find, like, my voice and my flow. Like, I think every rapper starts out, like, you try to sound like other rappers, like the people that you look up to, right? So, like, I have phases where, like, I literally sound, you know, try to sound exactly like Jadakiss or sa- try to sound exactly like Prodigy from Mob Deep, rest in peace. Um, you know, and guys like that just, like, really, you know, that was a crucial element to me, like, finding, like, a style. And also, like, you know, Jay Hugh, like I said, who was, who was my engineer and mm-hmm. kind of, like, basically became my mentor, um, would just pretty much like make me freestyle all the time, you know, and that was something that I was like super like, um, I'm still not like the greatest freestyler like off the top, but it was something that early on he was like, that's how you find your flow. Like that's how you find your style. Like just rap, like stop thinking and just rap, you know? So, um, so that was definitely a, a developmental process. And even like now, like, you know, like you've heard the, the newer stuff, um, you know, I, I, try to get outside of my own comfort zone and box as well as far as like the way that I rap. So like on, on the new EP and even La Honda, there's a little bit of, um, you know, there's definitely experimentation with flows and certain cadences like you're saying. So, um, you know, that's, that's like the journey, right. Is like, as an artist, you're, you know, we're like drug addicts in a way. And I think that's why so many of uh, great artists become, you know, have addiction issues is because if you're, if you're, in my opinion, a great artist, you're always chasing a sound. You know what I'm saying? You're always, people can react the way that they want and they'll receive your art in the way that they'll interpret it. But um, I feel like every artist is like chasing a sound and chasing like something in their head that they feel like they haven't gotten yet. Um, And I think that's what pushes all of us to, to, you know, all of us in the band to try to make the best stuff possible and never stay in a box and, and always challenge the audience, you know, like the, the idea behind putting out these two EPs back to back is to just to condition people early to like never expect because you got this sound the last time that that's exactly what you're going to get next time because we're going to do what we want to do, mm-hmm. you know. Sort of don't allow your fans and your audience to rest on your laurels as opposed to you resting on them. And sort of right. get them used to the idea that the unexpected is to be expected. Exactly. Right. Wow, that's pretty deadly. <laughs> <laughs> I love. And, that I mean, idea. that's something I that's something I get from my own musical influences. You know, like you know, guys like The Strokes, who are like one of my favorite bands of all time, or Radiohead, or Kanye. Mm-hmm. You know, those guys were always willing to. Um, you know, The Strokes' first album is a masterpiece to me. And the second album, I think they had gotten a lot of flack for sounding a lot like the first one. But out of their five records, um, they pretty much consistently challenged their audience. And Radiohead did the same. You know, we got, with the acid test, the the biggest, uh, you know, feedback that I got personally was somebody told them that it gave them the feeling of the first time they heard Kid A. And so if you're a Radiohead fan, that's like the holy grail. You know, like that's what you want to aspire to is to challenge the audience in a way that's like shocking like i didn't expect to hear this from you but i love it kind of thing mm-hmm. it's it as you come in like expecting what you've heard before but then suddenly you've got those chills down your back because it's just something else entirely 
Yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why I enjoy the two albums, like, since I've, like, started catching on to you is because it is, it does sort of, like, give you that chill down your back where the first album has, like, a very like broken down sort of chill flow but it's like the lyrics are very honest and very deep like at the same time and very reflective and then the acid test is like a lot more like um allowing for creation within like the vocal work like in working it in with the instruments and it's like how you guys have progressed even just between those two is amazing yeah thank you man you know i really appreciate that um you know, what, what's funny is that people haven't been believing me when I say this, um, you know, when the, the press release and what got put out for, you know, La Honda was uh, the, the idea that we recorded the project in one day, which is true, um, mm-hmm. but it was actually a two-day session. It was a Saturday and a Sunday, and the acid test was recorded on the Sunday. So th- this was really like the same session that all of these songs are from. And, um, you know, the acid test songs were things that we had um, – kind of like in in the tuck like you know stuff that we had written put aside that i kind of went through and was like hmm i think there's like i think there's an ep here like i think there's another ep here and i think that this is like kind of the psychedelic uh portion of our sound you know and we we kind of went back in and mm. mike the, the irate genius and i you know who's our guitarist we sat down and um you know we did some of the overdubs and some of the backup things that you hear and then I went in and added all the background harmonies and all that extra percussion that you hear that really gives it like this, it just like groovy vibe, you know, like I, I know like that slang is kind of coming back, but like in the sixties, you kind of hear in the music why the slang was groovy because it was mm-hmm. like, everything has this human touch to it, you know, this human element. And that's missing from a lot of the music now because so many producers are producing, especially hip hop in the computer, you know, so everything is quantized and on a, on a grid, you know, with this is like, you know, we're, we're shaking the tambourine, you know, like that's, mm-hmm. you're hearing like me actually in there doing it. So it's, it gives it this human element and, and really brings what I, you know, I feel really brings the soul back into, um, you know, the artistry of all of this. I can completely agree with that because that's one thing that I feel about a lot of production these days is it's a little bit too clean cut and absolutely a little bit of the problem with that is it definitely takes away the soul and the feeling of the music where it's just like right. this is a little bit too perfect where it's just like there is right. no actual human element to it besides the voice that's coming through it. Yeah, hundred percent. And even the and even most of the vocals now and you know, what they would consider urban music is auto tuned. So, you know, it's it's like Frank Ocean said, you know, computerized auto tuned vocals or whatever on the um I forget what song that was, but you know, it's it's definitely, you know, a different era that we're in. And like I like a lot of you know, I like I was just playing some future before you called. Like, you know, I yeah. I like a lot of the, you know, the trap stuff and stuff like that, but you know, I think it just becomes overkill when it's like all that you hear, you know, and it's when it's the only sound that is acceptable and pretty much has changed the standard definition of what people think um, the hip hop sound even is. You know, like if you said hip hop in the early 2000s and 90s, they would play you an old New York style beat, like maybe like uh, they reminisce over you by Pete Rock or something like that. Pete Rock and CL Smooth. 
um, you know, kids don't even associate that boom bap New York sound with hip hop anymore. They think that's just old, you know, oh, that's old, you know, yeah. anything without an 808 and trap drums, like that's not hip hop to them anymore. So, you know, I just think that the culture, um, you know, we're missing some of the culture and the commodification of everything sounding the same. And it's, you know, I have to agree with that. I love the view on that, man. That's fantastic. <laughs> Yeah, thank you, man. I feel like we have a lot of the same perspective, you know, when you're when you're saying some of these things. So, mm-hmm. you know, I just feel I have to chime in. <laughs> no, I I definitely agree. So, is that why you decided to put together the entire band? Was that um, why you went with the band approach as opposed to continuing to go with produced music? Well, yeah, that, I mean. It was kind of like always what I what I wanted to do as far as like, you know, I looked at guys like The Roots and it got to a certain point where I became like a, a really good rapper and not say, saying this to like pick myself up or whatever, but like it got to a point where I was a really good rapper and I saw the ceiling of, of where like where, the height of where that artistry takes you and, and a lot of people... Um, I would hear people say like, you know, rap's not music, you know, rappers aren't musicians, you know, they're rappers, they're poets, whatever, but but it's not music. And, you know, in order to transcend that stigma and kind of break that, you know, um, that misconception, uh, I, I just felt like it was important for us to cross over out of the sampling with the drums you know, the program drums over uh, chopped up soul samples and stuff like that. You know, not that there's anything wrong with that. I still, I, you know, I love a lot of that stuff, like Griselda Records, uh, West Side Gun, Conway. You know, those guys make classic sound in hip-hop that's hard, and I love it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they still inspire me to do, to do certain things. But um, for me, I just feel like in order for us to cross over that threshold of being taken seriously as artists, uh, it's important to step up and kind of show that we can navigate that dynamic and change the the uh, perception of what hip-hop artistry is. You know, hip-hop taught me about production. Like, I couldn't do anything that I do now with the band if I wasn't a, a solo rapper first, like sitting in Pro Tools or, you know, whatever program and editing my own vocals and doing this and putting sound effects and doing blah, blah, blah. I use all of those skills today that I started out learning just because I was a rapper and I was on my own and I had to learn how to do it myself. Um, so there's definitely something to be set for that. And, and on the flip side, I know tons of, you know, I've met tons of instrumentalists, people that are technically amazing musicians, you know, they can play their instrument incredibly well, but they, they can't, make songs you know they can't format songs and they can't produce themselves and so when you talk about hip-hop you have to add all of those skills and and all of those different elements that make us different you know that make us different than rock bands and different from everybody else and i feel like that's something that's really getting lost in translation now yes definitely and there is there is those like few bands that do like use it but nowadays like it's become a little bit less and less because nobody wants to take the time to actually find the musicians and try and actually work out the timing with everybody in the creation process but they don't realize how much is actually like missing when you take that away 
Absolutely. And I mean, not, not for nothing. Like the challenges are, are intense, man. Like it's, it's tough to, um, manage all of the, you know, all of those, the scheduling and, um, you know, just even gigging, you know, bringing, having everyone having gear that they have to bring and show up with. And, you know, of course, as a rapper, it's easier to just walk in a spot and, you know, you either have a DJ with you or if you're a completely from the bottom, you know, you'll plug in a, a MP3 player, or plug your phone into the aux and have your beat plan and just rapping. But um, like you said, it, it takes away some of that, um, some of the elements of you creating something in front of people. You know, that's, that's what live music to me is always about is, is I want to see you make the song that I heard on the record in front of my face, you know, and that's something that I feel like really can only do if you, if you have a rapport with the musicians, you know, um, if you, if you've built something, if you've built a sound together and that's pretty much what, you know, what we've done. Um, you know, Mike is, is an incredible guitarist. You know, I'm not a great guitarist. So I went and found who I feel is the best guitarist. And he would say the same thing about me is, you know, feeling like I'm one of the best rappers that's out here. And, you know, our bassist is incredible. Steve Podelsky, Chris Stadler is our drummer. Who's like our John Bonham and everybody brings this flavor to the table. And we all kind of understand, um, the different, elements that we're pulling from we're you know that we're pulling from soul and we're pulling from rock and roll and we're pulling from motown and we're pulling from all this different stuff and we all kind of understand that and work around each other to make things sound balanced and bring those sounds together in a way that's original and not um you know not forced so when you decided to go about putting together the band was there already the idea that you had certain styled musicians that you were trying to find? Were you trying to find Definitely. people that were very eclectic off the start? Like, what were you aiming for at the beginning? Um, well, I knew I, I knew that I had to find the guitarist first because, uh, you know, electric guitar is my favorite instrument uh, as far as just emotion. Um, you know, guys like David Gilmore that can just pull like a feeling out of you and like pretty much make you cry with just an electric guitar. And, you know, mm -hmm. um, so that was to me, the most important thing is to find that guitarist who would just like rip my heart out, you know, like just make me feel something in the pit of my stomach. And, um, so, you know, I put out an open, you know, uh, put out an open Craigslist ad, um, you know, I'm starting a, uh, an alternative rap band or garage rap or whatever I called it at the time. Um, and, you know, I'm looking for guitarists and a bunch of people sent stuff. And, and I did kind of know what I was looking for. And, in in, you know, I, I did know that I needed like a blues based guitarist because it was going to have some of the elements of like a Led Zeppelin. Um, so I was kind of looking for that Hendrix, Jimmy Page kind of um, soul, really. But, um, you know, Mike ended up being way more versatile than that. Like he's, you know, he can write in so many different styles. So that I actually didn't expect. I, I didn't go into it looking for like, I need someone who can play pop, you know, pop, hard rock, blues rock, psychedelic rock. Like it wasn't really like that. Um, but I just knew that the person had to have feel and they had to understand um, that it wasn't necessarily about the notes that they're playing, but how they were playing it. And that's something that's, if anyone is listening to this that wants to start a band, to me, that's the most important element. Like, you have to have soul, you know? that It's as simple as that. You know, you can be the, the most, you can shred like crazy. You can sound like Eddie Van Halen, but if you can't 
make the audience feel something, then it's pretty much worthless because that's what music is about, <laughs> you know? No, exactly. You have to inspire some form of emotion from them because you can sit there and you can play a blistering solo in front of their face, but unless it does something for them besides being a blistering solo, they're not going to right. remember it quite as much as if it if the notes actually hit something within their heart and their mind. Absolutely. Yep, 100%, man. And so, you know, that to me is, is the most important. And, you know, there might be a few music nerds in the crowd that are like, oh, did you hear he went to the, you know, pentatonic and then he switched to the key and then bought like, you know, whatever. But, uh, you know, there might be one or two of those guys in the crowd, but most of the people are just, you know, they want to hear something that makes them feel a certain way. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, all that stuff kind of goes out the window when you're dealing with just the raw human element of music and that's to me what mike is so good at and really what what all of the guys are are great at mm -hmm. how did steve end up getting attached to the project um steve is actually a, a like super close friend of uh mike's younger sister so like he kind of grew up like jamming with mike and like you know mike's known him since he was like 16 years old you know 15 16 uh, so he was somebody, Steve was a guy that, you know, Mike was like kind of trying to get in and he was originally going to kind of do session work for us and mm -hmm. be a studio basis. And then I think, um, <laughs> I think what happened was he ended up playing like a bunch of the stuff he was working on for some of his friends and his friends looked at him like, yo, you're crazy, bro. Like you need to be part of this. Like, this is, this is like dope. Like this is really something. Um, and so, you know, he kind of, he kind of got on the bus at that point. Um, and Chris, you know, that, that was another situation that we, we were looking for drummers forever. We probably went through about eight to 10 drummers before we came, came across him. And, you know, after the first, like maybe two times of playing with him, I was like, Oh, this is the guy, like, you know, it was kind of a no brainer. He, he's just incredible. Like the pockets that he finds and the soul that he plays with is, you know, second to none. Awesome. So did you guys record the EPs once all the pieces had been put together or was that like a process like during the recording? Um, so that's kind of funny because, um, we, we, we originally had a, an EP called further that was supposed to come out, you know, two years ago at this point. Um, but that's that we put out a single called think me a fool and that song was originally supposed to be on further. Um, it st still is, but like, you know, the project hasn't actually come out. Um, and we were kind of like bouncing back and forth between recording studios. And, you know, this was before we had found Chris even. So we were working mm -hmm. with a bunch of different drummers. And uh, for me, you know, in my producer brain, when I put the producer hat on and I listen to things like the most important thing is to get outside of yourself and, not get so attached to something that you think that everything that you do is good. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the things that I, that was just weighed on me super heavily was like, it wasn't the sound that we wanted. Like for when we were working on the material for further, uh, we, we just weren't getting it. You know, we weren't getting the, the, the feel that I really wanted as a, you know, the garage rock kind of sound of, of gritty hard, you know, it, it wasn't that. And so, um, you know, uh, much to the distress of, of the group, you know, I just kept saying like, nah, we got to start from scratch, bro. Like this ain't it. And most of the La Honda stuff, um, honestly, you know, actually all of the stuff, La Honda, the acid test, um, these were all songs that we had kind of in pieces, um, you know, sitting or stuff that we would play live. 
you know, stuff like 20th Century Eclipse that was just, like, really a freestyle. Um, and so when I sat down and I listened to the, some of the material we had, it was like, yo, instead of worrying about further and, you know, these these a little bit more, like, complicated songs that we're having trouble getting the exact feel for, um, I think, you know, to, to get the sound out there and let people know what we're doing and that it's something different, we need to just go in and record... Um, things that we're comfortable with, you know, things that, you know, not, not that we weren't comfortable with the other stuff, but stuff that's, that's less complex, you know, that we can really just like go in and record it raw, like just straight with, you know, no cut with, with that feel, with that energy. And if we can get great performances down on record, we can make a couple of great projects, you know, to kind of introduce people to what we're even doing before, we jump out there with further it was something that we spent years working on and it doesn't come off the way that we want to, you know, you only get one chance at a first impression. So, you know, the session that we had recorded where all of this stuff came about, it really was kind of supposed to be a further recording session because once we had started recording ourselves, uh, you know, we got a bunch of gear to do like kind of a DIY recording setup. And w once we did that, we really thought like, okay, further is going to be out. And I kind of showed up on the day of the, of the recording session and was like, yo, last night I uh, listened to our, <laughs> you know, a bunch of our stuff. And I think this is one EP with these six, uh, you know, with these five songs. Cause it was really, you know, there's an interlude on La Honda that uh, wasn't originally on there. And I was like, I think these five songs are one EP and these five songs are another EP. And it, the acid test actually ended up getting uh, cut down to four songs. But everyone was kind of like, yo, I thought we were recording further with God. I'm like, yo, just trust me. Like, let's just give this a shot and see, see how it works. And we just banged it out. Like it was just mm -hmm. straight, you know, it was one of those inspired moments of just like everybody's on their A game and, and put their best foot forward. So it was, it's, it, you know, it sounds lazy to say that it's like a fluke, but like it kind of was, you know, it's, it was just us going with the feeling and not stressing about, um, all of these external factors and really just going back to the music and, and playing off of feel. When you guys were going in for this two day session, was it like, did you plan on knocking out this other album in those two days? Like you ended up doing with these two EPs or did that just end up happening? Nah. Yeah. That kind of just ended up happening. Uh, we, we went into it, like, we're going to work on further stuff, like, yeah. you know, work on the, the further EP and like, you know, maybe we'll get three good, good takes of, of, you know, three good songs down. Um, but you know, once we had started with, with the La Honda stuff and it was really just flowing like water, uh, the next day, you know, everyone was just completely like tired and drained. And I'm like, yo, I think we can, I still think we can do this. And so we started working on the acid test stuff and, you know, I think everyone was so like burnt out and it was really like, kind of like a hangover kind of feeling just like what, what the fuck just happened? Like, you know, it was like one of those things where like you're coming down off of a high that you're just like, did we just do that? Like, did we just record like nine songs in, in two days? And, um, and so I went home with all the material and just started, you know, slowly, tweaking it and mixing and doing this and adding stuff or whatever. And, and, um, you know, I think that we came out with two projects that everyone is like super proud of now. Um, you know, I know for a fact that I am, uh, I, I think that 
I think what we're doing is like super just like self-explanatory. Like you either get it or you don't. And it's unapologetic. Uh, it's different. It's unique. It's, you know, nobody else is doing it. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. yeah, without a doubt. <laughs> I don't really think there is very many people out there doing anything like this right now. Yeah. Thank you, man. Wow. Okay, so when you guys got into the studio with this other work, did you guys have a lot of work to do on the songs that you ended up recording? Like, how polished were these tracks when you guys had already walked in? Um, as far as as far as the Lahanda stuff, or as far as like both, like as far as both, because like to have those nine songs, like if you guys weren't even expecting to record those, like. You said that yeah. you had them on the back burner, but like, were they actually at the point where you guys felt they were ready? Like, once you got into the studio, did you find that you were constantly adapting the songs as you were recording them, or how did that process work? Um, out? not not really, because the a lot of the Lahanda stuff we'd been playing live. You know, like the Vent and Twentieth uh, Century Eclipse. Those are songs that we had kind of worked into our live set list a little bit, and um, you know. Like, I, I would say, like, Live As It Gets, the song that, that you know, we did with Royce, uh, with the Royce feature, uh, that was probably, like, the only one that we spent any time, like, really, like, arranging in a way, because um, I didn't have a verse for it yet, and I didn't have a chorus for it. Like, we, we had the musical parts kind of worked out, but there's, like, a, a, a key change in the middle of the verse, like, it, it drops, and then you know, there's a, a different guitar part comes in. So Mike and Steve kind of worked out that modulation, uh, that transition when we got in and, you know, it was something that Mike had in mind, like he had written it already, but it was kind of like the timing and figuring out how to actually pull off the, the key change. So they worked on that and then it kind of just all flowed from there. Like that was really like the one road bump and it took them maybe like I would say like maybe 10 minutes to work that part out. Like I went outside and like smoked a bowl. And by the time I came back, it was pretty much like, yo, we got it. So, um, as, but as far as like how polished they were, I mean, what you hear on, on La Honda is like the way it is, bro. Like that was like, like even, um, phobia and natural mystic, uh, the vocals on those are from Steve's bathroom, like for the bathroom in his basement. Like I recorded those vocals live with the band while they were playing and, the feel just was there. Like, I didn't want to touch it once I heard everything together. I was like, okay, this is dope. Like, I'm I'm not going to try to re-record these verses and get a, a better performance because I feel like that the feeling that I want is in there already. Mm -hmm. um, so I cleaned, I cleaned up the, the chorus on Natural Mystic a little bit, and that was pretty much it. But, like, what you hear is what it was, bro. It's, um, I, you know, in my opinion, it came out great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. It's fantastic to hear that you actually went in there and did that to actually just know that the song already had the vibe that you wanted from it without having to be like no i want to touch this up or no let's do this again or maybe like three times to see which one i like more. right well we did do multiple takes of uh of pretty much pretty much all of the songs yeah um but as far as like editing you know i, I really didn't have to go in and um you know comp much like as far yeah. as like you know taking stuff from one take and pasting it over another like it really wasn't any of that like and and that was why i am impressed upon everybody at the beginning was like if we can get great sounding performances mm -hmm. 
you know, the fact that it's a two-minute song, it really doesn't matter because that's what all of the, you know, SoundCloud and trap rappers are doing now anyway. You know, like the Lil Yachty and these guys like that, you know, they're putting out two-minute songs on SoundCloud and it's blowing up and getting however many views. So it's really like, yo, I think we can beat these guys at their own game kind of thing. You know, mm -hmm. it, not not to, like, be condescending, but, you know, if, if, if this is the wave, if it's like, yo, make a bunch of two-minute records, like, we can do that and it's going to be hotter than pretty much anything anyone else is putting out. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, that was, that was like the thought process behind that is like, let's just get really good quality and good, uh, feel performances in live takes and, and mix them and put them out. Yeah. Cause deep down when it comes to any of the trap rappers or any of that style, it's you guys are an entirely different breed. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to be taking a small break here. Of course, those of you who have been with the Tiger for a little bit know what's up. Those of you who are brand new, don't worry. We still have a lot of my conversation with Foster the Prankster left to come up. Of course, I'm also going to be playing you a track off of the Acid Test right away too. Really soon, my favorite track off the Acid Test but before we get there, of course, I just need to take a moment to go ahead and acknowledge that Desert Tiger is 100% fan-supported. Without you guys subscribing to the show, without you guys sharing the episodes on your social media, with your friends, with your family, with people who you feel would enjoy it, without those of you who have actually gone ahead and picked up one of our Desert Tiger t-shirts, some of our merch, and actually helped put gas in my gas tank so I can go to places like Breakout West, Vancouver, Calgary, all over the place and interview musicians, wrestlers, and all of the like. You guys are amazing. I've recently had somebody reach out and tell me that I should start up a Patreon, so I'm actually going to start looking into that right away. That same person actually asked how could they donate to the show in general, so thank you so much for your donation. I ended up accepting it. I, I'm just very thankful that people believe in the product enough to be willing to reach out and offer things like that. And the appreciation that I have for you guys and everything that you guys have done for Desert Tiger in the last year is just you guys are amazing. The fact that this show receives tens of thousands of downloads and we've only been up for a year. The fact that like we like are getting picked up by people who work for Sirius XM and iHeartRadio and like they listen to the show and they're actually like picking up on what's going on and it's like it's crazy just this huge community that we're starting to build with each other and a lot of it is because of you guys. Thank you so freaking much. So of course if you enjoy an episode, please go ahead and share it. If you enjoy the show, please go ahead and subscribe to it. If you want to go ahead and rep one our sh one of our shirts, show all your friends and family just how much you love the tiger. Of course, you can go ahead and hit me up. Like I said, we're going to get a Patreon rolling soon. You guys are fucking amazing and I love you so much. And I am honestly blessed with the fact that I have such a dedicated following and listener base. And from the bottom of my heart, once again, thank you guys so much. Now, I should probably stop pandering so I can get you guys back to the interview, back to my conversation with Foster, so you guys can get to the real reason you came here. I mean, unless you guys came here just for the padding on the back that I give you every 
middle of the show. Which, I mean, if that's why you come here, awesome, great. But if that's not why you come here, if you come here for the interview, if you come here for the music, don't worry, we're about to jump right back into it like I told you. I'm about to play you a track off of the Acid Test, this one, of course, being my favorite song off of this album. And of course, later on... You're also going to find out that it's Foster's favorite track off of the acid test. This is called Killing Room. Desert Tiger Podcast. 
For Royce, how long did it take to get his verse back? Because like you said, you didn't really have the verses of the course figured out. When did he get brought in? Like once everything was already polished and then you just had him do his thing or? Well, his verse was actually, that. the funny thing about that is that um, I actually, I, I did the original record. The, the reason that it's released as a prankster remix is because I did the original record with Royce in like 09 uh, oh. for a mixtape that I did called the new generation. Um, but since I, you know, am independent and I paid for his verse out of pocket, it's really a work for hire. Right. So I, yeah. I own the masters to that verse. Oh, so I still have the masters laying around and I was like, yo, I think we could do something with this to kind of show, you know, like I was saying, as far as like me trying to start a band and do the stuff I'm doing now. Um, mm-hmm. when I first originally kind of embarked on that a lot of people a lot of my hip-hop producer buddies and stuff like that people that i was around told me oh that'll never work oh it's you know you're, you're gonna split your audience because people won't know if you're hip-hop or you're this or whatever and so for me it was like um you know not only would it just be cool to like reimagine this verse but it really shows like that the sound as a whole works you know that it shows mm. that we can take these elements from these different places and put a guy like Royce on something that you never heard him you know you never heard Royce on anything remotely like that record and make it sound organic and and I think that was I think we accomplished that tenfold so really we built the song around Royce's verse like pretty much uh, had Chris like come up with his the you know come up with the drums come up with the rhythm and stuff like that and we kind of wrote around that. Uh, so, you know, it was like, it was kind of like an experimental writing process because it's kind of different for the band to write around the vocals instead. Um, and then once we had the actual track laid out, you know, like I wrapped Royce's verse in the studio with, with the band just so that we had um, the format and everything. And then once I got the instrumental and I brought it home, then I, that's when I like ended up writing everything out and, um, you know, writing the chorus and stuff like that. Wow. That's actually really cool. Cause it also pays like homage to what you had done prior as a musician and like your right. younger years. Yeah, definitely. That's, that was kind of like where I, I started the line. I think with like, you know, this, this is just a throwback to my younger days back to open mics when I, uh, um, I don't even remember the word, you know, but mm-hmm. yeah, it was like, you know, it was just, a, um, like I said, just a way to like reimagine, like you said, pay homage to, to the fact that, you know, I had done that, but it wasn't really like what I wanted to do. So it's kind of like, it's like a time capsule in a way, you know, it's like taking something from then, but like doing what I feel like I was always meant to do with it now. Yeah definitely just completely reimagining it and then like maybe even realizing what you thought the song was supposed to mean to you then maybe it means something different now exactly Mm -hmm. yeah 100 percent, man okay so after you spend like an entire day just crushing this out and like getting the entire ep and you wake up the next day and you look at the rest of the crew and you're like you know what I think we can do another one. First off, how crazy do they think you are? And B, like, what was the process like for Acid Test? Because the sound on Acid Test is, like, quite a bit different. So, like, to walk in the studio the next day and then suddenly already have that different mindset, was it difficult to make that transition? 
Well, we left everything set up uh, as far as, like, the mics and stuff. We left everything set up overnight, and me and Chris actually crashed in Steve's basement, and Mike went home because he, he lives, like, right around the corner. Like I said, like, they kind of grew up together. So um, he went home, came back, and, you know, everyone was kind of, like, ready to roll, but like I said, was still, like, you know, tired from the night before. We were up to, like, super late recording, and so – initially it was just it was definitely like shaking the shaking the rust off a little bit you know like even we thought we had just been there playing it was like um you know just just exhaustion pretty much and so i think that kind of like fed into some of the um there's like a very like i'm trying to find a way to word it like there are like pockets in in the acid test that I feel like would have been different if we had maybe recorded it when we were a little fresher. You know, it has like a a drag to it and like a very like almost like slow motion, but in in you know super speed like that. You know, it's an oxymoron, but like it just has like a really weird feel. And especially like the uh, Killing Room, which is like the third song, has like a coda at the end with like this really like psychedelic jazzy pink floydy kind of sounding uh breakdown and something like that i don't know if we would have gotten that the first day just because it's so it has so much weight you know it's so heavy it's so and i think because of the fact that the guys were a little tired they were playing just super spaced out you know in a way and kind of like going with the feel and going on autopilot um and then once we added all of the the percussion and the you know the tambourines and the backup harmonies um once we once all of that stuff got added it just made everything even more full and more um trippy really <laughs> mhm definitely it just sort of kept building upon itself type thing yeah awesome so how long did it take you guys to knock out those four songs considering you guys were already a little worn out um i think hmm we probably did that in like between four and six hours. Um, it really didn't take super long at all. Uh, you know, I, I brought the stuff home Sunday night, you know, uh, uploaded everything to my computer and just like started working pretty much right away. And then um, obviously the LaHonda stuff took priority. So I worked on that first and I kind of left the acid test stuff sitting for maybe like a week just to let my ears rest because mm. it, it was really like I was pulling like, you know, 10 hour days, like, mixing the LaHonda stuff and so I kind of just need to like let it breathe and um once I went back to it that's when we that's when you know I brought Mike back and you know he came up with all of these like super dope uh backup you know guitar overdubs and stuff like that and then I then I really could start like refreshing myself and I was like okay I have like a new perspective on this like I know it needs to be done you know and that that's when the percussion and harmonies got added and then i went into overdrive with the mixing and and wrapped it up like you know two weeks ago or three weeks ago something like that mm-hmm. um and really we were like waiting for the artwork was the last thing that was like down to the last minute um but our guys you know uh his name is uh i think at, at ghost mode pdx on twitter um it was just a dude that i followed that i was really loves his style of art and so when we were working on this, I was like, yo, this is like the only guy I can think of that I really want to do the art for this and uh, hit him up. And we were kind of waiting for him to get back to us. And once he sent the art, we sent it out for distribution. And that was it. Like, you know, um, we're not really super interested in the whole rollout campaigns of the old music industry of like promoting something for weeks before you put it out and, 
you have to build anticipation. And, like, I, I understand the value of that, but at the same time, it's a new era. And especially being an independent, you know, if people don't know you, they really don't care that your project is coming on this exact date of this, you know. They're much they're, – they, I feel like they, people are much rather – and me as a music consumer, I would much rather – open up my phone and see like, Oh shit, this band that I like just dropped a fucking EP. Like I wasn't expecting that. Like I, to me, that's way more exciting than, you know, somebody, Oh, I'm the project is coming. It's coming. It's coming. And, and mm-hmm. you know, it just, it could keep, you know, gets pushed back or whatever. Like, <laughs> you know, we want to have a finished product and just let you know, bong, like, Hey, this is out, you know, go check it out. If you like it, share it, blah, 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 whatever. Well, and in today's social media age is compared to what, a PR and A and R was before it's today's social media age. Mm-hmm. People are more likely to react to that song or that EP being out like right now, as opposed exactly. to it being announced then. Because like if they're going to get hyped about it, they're going to get hyped about the fact that like it's actually available, Absolutely. as opposed to being yeah. like, "Yo, in six months we got you." Because like in six right, months, exactly. who knows? How many other and, and things that was, jumped in front of their eyes? <laughs> right, and exactly, and that was kind of the the trap that we got into with further was you know the Think Me a Fool single came out and you know then we dropped a video for it and it was kind of like the EP is coming but it wasn't finished so it was kind of like you know we we um, we had a lot of goodwill built up with uh, the Twitter following that we have and it, it was super dope because people were supporting us for almost two years off of the one single off of uh, think me a fool um you know people were following and you know wanted updates on further and when can we get this and so uh it to me it, it like impressed upon me such a a responsibility to like yo these people are like really rocking with us and really supporting us and we have to like give them something you know like we have to deliver on what we say we're doing you know especially being that we know that it's something different and we know that nobody's doing it like let's be the first to market you know let's 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 grab this you know lightning in a bottle while we can and show people that we're not just talking shit you know show people that we're really really doing this like it, it completely independent you know we all of us have day jobs all of us do other things but we all you know sacrifice our time and our you know personal finances and stuff like that and make this art just because we love it, bro. Like that's, that's it, man. And like, not a lot of people are, are doing that to the uh, level of quality. I feel that we're doing it. Yeah. Without a doubt. It's, I don't even know what to say, man. <laughs> <laughs> that's good, man. Being speechless is always good sometimes. You know? <laughs> it, is. it is sometimes without a doubt. Being someone who is like, whose music love started in like classic rock and then like sort of in the more modern grunge and rock eras how much do you find that influence works its way into your vocal work with your hip-hop um i take almost not well I won't say almost all. I take a lot of what I do from uh, Julian Casablancas of The Strokes, who, like, to me is, like, he's, like, one of my favorite, like, rock vocalists ever just because he has, like, a super um, uh, nostalgic kind of feel. Uh, you know, the fuzz vocals definitely add to that a little bit. You know, it kind of sounds like old-fashioned radio or something like that. Mm-hmm. But um, just the melodies that he finds, uh, he, he 
he does jukebox melodies, but in like a modern uh, kind of feel. And even like with that Daft Punk song that he did, um, uh, the name of it is slipping me right now, but um, Instant Crush it's called. Yeah. Uh, off of the, the, the latest Daft Punk album. You know, it's just like, it's so beautifully arranged vocally. And I, t- I take so much inspiration for what I do from him when I'm singing, uh, just as far as like finding my melodies and finding the range and stuff like that. A lot of that stuff I take from him. And then, you know, backup harmonies and stuff, um, definitely Radiohead, I, I take a lot of um, inspiration from. But, you know, I, I love I love tons of, you know, I could go on an, all day about rock vocalists or, you know, um, um, what do you call this? Uh, I'm sorry, another name that was slipping my mind. But, um, yeah, definitely with the melody. And on, on the acid test, some of the rap verses, I tried to um, step out into a more of a, a rock space a little bit, um, just with the phrasing and kind of dragging out words, certain words and stuff like that. Yeah, I definitely get that feel for sure. And maybe that's why Killing Room reaches to me the most. But <laughs> I love Killing Room. Oh so <laughs> I totally yeah. feel you on that. Yeah, that's yeah. my favorite track off the new one for sure. It easily has to be my favorite one so far as well. <laughs> Yeah. I am loving it. So what influences your lyrics you find? Is it a lot of personal experience? Um, is it a lot of what you see around you? Where do you get your writing material from? Uh, both of those, definitely. Um, both, you know, my own experiences and, you know, the people, what people are going through around me. Um, there's tons of real stories that I could um, kind of elaborate on in in some of the lyrics, both on La Honda and on this one, um, but really tried to, like, uh, I don't want to give, like, too much of the sauce away, but, <laughs> but like, uh, abstract um, hip-hop lyricism is kind of, that, that definitely inspires, like, a lot of my rapping now. I used to be way more straightforward and kind of tell the whole story, and now I'm, I'm, I focus on fragmentation a lot. Um, and that was something I really started doing, I think, with, like, Think Me a Fool. Um, I started thinking about things in, like, a very Tarantino-esque way of, of kind of, like, creating, like, small moments within a song or within one verse. Uh, talking about a whole bunch of different things or talking to a whole bunch of different people, but on one train of thought in a way. So, um, you know, like something like, uh, I'll try to give you like one example, uh, something like uh, on Hog Farm on the, the acid test, I say something like, uh, I never call cops, couldn't trust them while I'm from them. catch a beat down looking like someone. That's a hard fact. That's what you call that. Every, uh, ever got your ass whooped for having the same ball cap? Like, nigga, everybody on a Yankee fitted. So that could, came from a, um, a story where, you know, I'm from Jersey City and, uh, you know, my man one night, cops ran up on him, beat him down, chipped his tooth, like, you know, re- really, like, beat his ass, like, for, for no reason. He was coming back mm-hmm. from the store. And then we found out that uh, somebody had ran down the block with, with a gun, threw it in the bushes, you know, out front of the house, and the cops were like, oh, well, the guy was wearing the same hat. And it was like, bro, this is Jersey. Like, you know how many niggas have Yankee fitted on, like, on the block? Like, come on, bro. Like, Everybody. you can't, like, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, it's exactly. So it's like you can't just, you can't run up on somebody and beat their ass just because, oh, he had the same hat as the suspect. And, like, why would he, why would the suspect have thrown the gun in the bushes, ran off, and then came back around the block? double back and go to the store like you know so it's just like certain things like that like i put like little little elements or little things that just stuff that i've seen that um 
speaks to larger things about the society and and the 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 way that we're living, you know, the world that we're living in is, is crazy. And um, I just feel like that mindfulness and that kind of message is not part of hip hop anymore. Whereas it used to be our main thing, you know, like that was the thing that made us the new rock and roll. That was what made us that is because we were willing to say what other people wouldn't say and, and talk about things that were really going on. And now mm. we're completely removed from that a hundred percent. Like you, you listen to half of the stuff that's, you know, pushed by the mainstream and it's absolutely no content, no substance at all. Uh, or like very like narcissistic substance, like, Oh, this, you know, my girl problems or my, this, or my, this, you know, just like, you know, or materialistic shallow stuff. Mm -hmm. There's never anything that really reflects outwardly, not, not never anything, but I'm talking about mm -hmm. the mainstream, you know, obviously there are certain guys that definitely do stuff like that, but, um, you know, that that's like the biggest thing for me is just tr just truthfulness, you know, mm -hmm. trying to be truthful and trying to put as much real life experience as I can in the lyrics. Yeah, less stroking of the ego is what like you'd say is absolutely so the mainstream ideal and actually trying to provoke thought. Right, a hundred percent. Hell yeah, I love it. I love it. All right, so you guys just released like two albums, but like we've said, you guys planned on recording another one instead so is that something you guys plan yeah. on doing here in 2018 is going in and knocking out the third ep or are you guys gonna sit on it a bit while you guys like figure out exactly what direction you want to take with it or what are your plans with that well i think i mean we're definitely you know further is definitely still coming out um it's still you know we're still excited about it uh we have another song that we're probably going to add on to it. Uh, so it'll, it'll end up being an eight track project and probably push as far as time, uh, you know, cause like the, the way that they do the, the record association, whatever um, criteria is like anything over 15 minutes or 25 minutes is an LP. Yeah. It'll probably end up getting pushed into the LP format. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, we're, we're super excited about it and we're definitely going to take um, a lot of the stuff that we learned about, producing our sound and getting certain sounds and styles that we want. And we're going to kind of revisit all of the further songs and really like make them even stronger than they were in the original, uh, the original iteration of it. So it'll, it'll be basically like a completely overhauled uh, version of that, you know, original vision. Awesome. I'm glad to hear that, and I can't wait to hear the album when it comes out. I'm sure it'll yeah, be a appreciate surprise. That. Uh, pro probably. I mean, I don't know how. I don't know how the guys will feel about it. We'll see how. You know, we'll have a, a team meeting about that and see how we want to approach it because I know a lot of people have been waiting a while. So this one we might be able to like tease a little bit and build a little more anticipation for. Um, but it was important for us to knock these first two out and like I said, give people something, you know, for supporting us with no music out for so long. You know, that was incredible to me that one song could have, um, you know, done, you know, made people feel something that was so powerful that they would keep following an artist who was like, yo, I promise the EP is coming, but it's not out, you know? Uh -huh. <laughs> so. Just keep waiting. Yeah. Just keep waiting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Further is definitely coming. 2019 is a definite. All right, that's fantastic. Do you guys have any more music videos planned for the future? Um, we've been talking about it. We're trying to figure out kind of like what the what the best track would be. I know a bunch of people wanted to see uh, an official video for the the live as it gets joint, 
Um, I don't think I can afford Royce at this point to be in the video to make a cameo or anything like that. But, um, you know, we're kicking around some ideas and trying to figure out what we could do, like, a really cool and creative video for. You know, I don't I don't want to just, like, put out, like, a phone video for a lot of stuff just to have something out. You know, a lot yeah. of people are like, oh, you can shoot videos on your iPhone now. It's like, yeah, but you still need a great editor and great production and you know, good a good space. You know, there's a lot of other things. Mm -hmm. uh, that go into it. So, you know, we're taking our time as far as visuals are concerned, but, um, the acid test visuals that, you know, the, the video that we put out with that has definitely been, um, a lot of people have been, been feeling that. So. Awesome. Yeah, no, the freaking cover of the album looks fantastic. I love it. I yeah, might bro. Have to go check it. I might have to go <laughs> follow. Oh, cause that is. Really Hell yeah, deep. bro. Yeah. Shout out at ghost mode PDX, bro. Yeah. That's, that, that dude he, he killed it man for real yeah man just like the the part of it is like man that is so sick <laughs> <laughs> maybe i'm just really really baked but <laughs> yeah maybe hey you know either way but i'm sober and it still look cool to me so <laughs> right, yeah i like it i like it so what is a uh foster and the pranksters live show like uh, it's pretty dope man we've been getting like you know every every show kind of is different um because of the fact that we've been putting out material, we've been working new stuff, so our next show is going to have some acid test stuff thrown in there. Um, you know, it, more people are coming out every time we play. Uh, we kind of been, like, spacing the shows out a, a little bit. You know, I know a lot of newer bands, they really get out and, like, gig, like, super hard, like, do, like, you know, three, four shows uh, a month and, you know, really try to, like, keep their calendar full. Um, we've been spacing it out just to, like, give ourselves some time to focus and make each gig as strong as it can actually be. So um, we're going to be playing in uh, Booton, New Jersey on uh, November 17th. Um, and then we have another show in Teaneck at Debenham Music Hall, which is a spot that we played uh, a few times before. Mm -hmm. um, and that's tentatively on the calendar for like December, might be like January. Um, so right now we're, we're kind of like, like I said, spacing it out. Uh, feeling it out, working in new material, um, and just trying to stay tight, you know, just keep it as tight as possible and, and make it fun for everybody. Awesome. Is there any plans for a East Coast tour maybe in 2019? We are working on that, actually. We're, um, we have a band that we play with a lot called The City Limit, and they're super dope. They're kind of like a indie indie pop blues um garage kind of feel as well um but we're trying to kind of like team up with them because we've been playing a lot together and um a lot of our audiences seem to really enjoy each other you know people will come out for us and say that oh i really like you know the city limit i didn't expect to um you know i didn't expect to hear another great band but um that's been working out really well in our favor so we're trying to like you know strategize some things and figure out how we can make it realistically work and um get us in you know get into markets where we have a chance of actually like building a fan base you know because you very early on you don't want to spread too thin and try to go out to like montana or something nobody knows you you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's like oh there's like two people here you know that happen to be drinking at the bar so um but yeah we're definitely trying to um get something going in the at least in the tri-state area by next year awesome i'm glad to hear it all right, before I let you go, where can the listeners find out more about Foster and the Pranksters? Uh, you can find us anywhere, pretty much. Uh, Facebook, Band of Pranksters, um, or you can search for us, Foster and the Pranksters. 
Google, um, bandofpranksters.com is our official website. That'll have all of our, you know, official releases, videos, whatever you want. Um, you can go on there. You can follow us at Band of Pranksters on Twitter. Actually, it's Band of Pranksters, no vowels, uh, and P-R-N-K-S-T-R-S. So <laughs> that's like a little bit confusing. But if you just Google us, you'll pretty much, you know, all of our stuff will pop up. All right, deadly. I want to go ahead and thank you so much for taking this time to share the story of Foster and the Pranksters with me, man. Hey, Colton, thank you, bro. I really appreciate it. You know, thank you for having us and for sharing your platform with us, you know. Once again, we have came to another close, so I want to take this quick moment to thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Desert Tiger Podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, I would be extremely thankful if you would hit the subscribe button or share this episode on any of your social media platforms. Hell, even tag me in it if you want to, and I'll give you a big old thumbs up. All right, have yourselves a great week, you guys. We have another amazing episode coming at you next Thursday. So until then, whoop whoop!